Well, I don't think anybody liked what happened at Bo Walton Arena on Saturday afternoon. Just a... <laughs> A disgusting basketball game, to say the least, and of course, Tennessee lost that one. One and one on the week, a tough week, not the end of the world. We'll break down all that was Tennessee basketball from Arkansas, plus Tennessee baseball, a season-opening series sweep. Troy Provo Heron of the Daily Times will stop by, and we'll talk to Tennessee baseball as well. All this on a Monday, Locked on Vols. You are Locked on Vols, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, welcome into another week of Logs on Balls. I'm Eric Kane. Glad to have you guys hanging out with me here today and subscribing and following this podcast at underscore caners where you can find me on Twitter and at Locked on Balls. Every single episode it's on YouTube. Please subscribe there. 435 subscribers on the YouTube channel at the time of this recording. Guys, that's like plus 45 in the last couple hours. So thank you so much for doing that. You guys mean the world. We'll talk hoops. We'll talk baseball, all that and more on a Monday show. Plus Troy Provo Heron, he'll check in and talk a little Tennessee baseball. Don't forget, Twitter Tuesday is tomorrow. So please get me in your Twitter Tuesday comments, questions, and concerns. But today is Monday, and this episode of Locked on Vols, it is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has got you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it is where. The game starts. Okay, let's get into it. Tennessee falls on the road to Arkansas 58-48. Is this the end of the world? No, it's not. I know every loss sometimes feels like the end of the world. A lot of Tennessee fans live on every single win and loss, live on every single you know uh, shot that's attempted. It, and that's fine. It lives on every snap in football. That's okay. Fan, short for fanatic, right? But it's not the end of the world. Arkansas is a good team. But I, again, I, the way you played is the end of the world, in my opinion, right? Because we've seen this, and this is not good. This is not winning formula. This is not sustainable winning formula uh, for Tennessee basketball. And the month of February, really, since that loss to Kentucky, and even in that Kentucky game, Tennessee looked really, really good offensively. You thought you were growing out of some of these pains, right? Uh, Tennessee's shooting 27% from the field uh, in this one. 16 of 59 shots made uh, from the field. That is that is not great. You went back into your old habits of of shooting the three-pointers, 4 of 24 from beyond the arc, 16.7%. And you didn't convert on your free throws, twenty or uh, 66%, 12 of 18 from the charity stripe, which is never fantastic. So you know, I'm not saying Arkansas was much better. Arkansas was not much better. They shot only 30% from the field, 22% uh, from long range, and 77% from the charity stripe. Had more opportunities at 22 uh, attempts from the charity stripe, 17 to 22. But... You look at Arkansas, Tennessee shot, what was it, 24 three-pointers. Arkansas shot 22 three-pointers. Tennessee made four. Arkansas Arkansas made five. So, again, it was a rock fight. Tennessee played a rock fight against Texas. Tennessee was in a rock fight against Texas Tech. Tennessee was in a rock fight against Arkansas. The 58-48 to final score. I was watching a little bit of the FSU-Duke game that came on after this one, and just sitting there, and like I think Duke had like 43 points at the half, and I'm like, Tennessee just scored 48 in an entire 40-minute ball game the game prior. Boy, it just it's just one of those games, right? And it's unfortunate, but again, it's not the end of the world because Tennessee got that much-needed win against Kentucky to split the week. Now, schedule's not getting much easier. On the road at Como on Tuesday night, you don't know what you're going to get from that team, plus it's a road game in the SEC. At Como, come back playing top, or at the time, a couple weeks ago, it was top-ranked Auburn. Now it's number two. Number two Auburn on Saturday. 
Then again, you're at Georgia, and then you finish it off against Arkansas. So the schedule's tough. We know that. We've talked about that. I You just hope Tennessee's offense doesn't fall back into this law. And it's not like Arkansas was a great defensive team. Now, the defense has improved. We talked about what they were in the, in the uh, Kim Palm's def- defensive efficiency ratings coming into this game. It's been improved. The thing I think gave Tennessee trouble was the length, of course. But offensively, just just not a great performance. You had double-figure scores in Zakai Ziegler, who finished with 12. Kennedy Chandler, who finished with 11. Kennedy Chandler still was only 5 of 15 from the field. Zakai Ziegler was only 2 of 8, okay? Uh, Santiago Vescovi, who usually is the pace man to score double figures, you know, finished with 7 points. He was 2 of 13 shooting, 1 of 9 shooting uh, for Tennessee. Josiah Jordan-James is 4 of 13, 0 of 6 from long range. He did finish with 8 points. Um, He... You know, he's starting to fall back into those old offensive habits that we don't like. Um, his last three games have not been great from the field for Josiah Jordan-James. As always, still impacting the game in many, many different ways, but from the field. I've been a big Josiah supporter. I've always praised him. Okay, you guys know this, but I will always, like I do all the time with my analysis. When it's good, I talk about it. When it's bad, I talk about it. Josiah Jordan-James offensively has not been great the last three games, and that continued on uh, in Bill Walton or Bud Walton, excuse me, the other uh, just a couple of days ago. He got two points for Eros Plavsic. He was playing critical, critical minutes for Tennessee down the stretch. Missed a couple of critical free throws, 0-4 on the night. Why? Well, because Tennessee is playing with a lot of four fouls. You had Kennedy Chandler playing with four fouls. You had Josiah Jordan-James playing with four fouls, who ultimately ended up fouling out. You had Santiago Vescovi playing with four fouls. That meant a lot of minutes down the stretch for Eros Plavsic. A lot of minutes down the stretch for... Uh, uh, Jemiah Meshack, a lot of minutes down the stretch for Jonas Adu. Adu finished with 16 minutes played. Meshack finished with three minutes, all that coming at the end of the game. Um, It just wasn't a good game for Tennessee, any way you want to spin it. John Fulkerson, who had been playing much, much, much improved, finished the game with two points, three rebounds, nothing to really brag about. Arkansas made it tough. And I'm never going to say that a team loses because of officials. I will never, ever, 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 ever say that, all right? But it is what it is, right? Um, Arkansas, at times I didn't agree with some of these calls. Arkansas did have 24 fouls in in this game. Tennessee did have 16 fouls in this game. So, um, or 24 to 16, excuse me, 24 to 16. Tennessee committed 24 fouls. Arkansas committed 16 fouls, and it played a big role in this in this basketball game. It did down the stretch. The big one being the backbreaker was was it uh, it was Kennedy Chandler picking up his third foul right before uh, the halftime buzzer struck. I mean that was uh, that was that was huge. So Tennessee a season low five assists on Saturday. A season low five assists. Tennessee turned it over 15 times, where Arkansas scored Arkansas scored 13 points. Again, not a winning formula, and it wasn't just Tennessee. Arkansas was pathetic, too, on the other end, all right? You know, J.D. Note finished with 13 points. He was 5'11", shooting, not the worst day in the office. But, you know, Jalen Williams, a near double-double machine, he had a double-double uh, on Saturday, 13 points. 16 rebounds was, you know, the bag-breaker. Uh, but you had Tony that finished with 8 points and 10 rebounds. You had Davis that finished with 7 points and 4 rebounds. And, of course, Note Date's threes were a big difference, as well as Davis's threes. He had two threes in that game, finished with 7 points. So, just ugly. I wouldn't look too fo- too much into this. I really wouldn't um, because you're going to get Arkansas coming back to home inside TBA, and it's going to be a different atmosphere. I mean, that Bud Walton Arena is a tough, tough, tough place to play. 
but you you can't overcome everything. You cannot overcome foul trouble being one. You cannot overcome an awful, awful shooting day, that being two. You cannot overcome poor free throw shooting, that being three. And you know, you cannot overcome a great home field atmosphere, that being four. Tennessee had four things, at least four things that I just mentioned going um, against them. You can't you can't think that you're going to overcome that on a on a on a given night and try to try to win a, a basketball game. So it was just tough, right? I mean, Tennessee lost by ten points. That was the biggest lead Arkansas had towards the end of the game with six seconds left. Took the lead by ten points, and that's how it finished. Um, just kind of is what it is. An ugly game, one that you look back, you learn from, and you move on because you've got more pressing matters. Again, game at Como on Tuesday night on the road back against Auburn. Florida doing the Lord's work, right? Florida doing the Lord's work over the weekend and coming up with that win. Things are getting interesting in the SEC, and nobody thought Tennessee would go 6-0 and in this brutal six-game stretch. After that win against Kentucky, we thought, hey, maybe 5-1. and 4-2 and would be great. My expectation going into it again was 3-3. Three and three. With that win against Kentucky, that shifts to 4-2. and two. I think Tennessee can finish this 4-2. and two. So, still a lot to play for. One bad game, one bad game where you where you went back into what you did against Texas. You went back to where you did against Texas Tech. You went back and shot where you did against Villanova. One one bad game and a stretch of games to where Tennessee was playing great and inspired offensive and defensive basketball. Tennessee's eight game win streak inside the SEC is snapped. What do you do? You got to start a new one, right? Tennessee at Como uh, on Tuesday night. We'll break all that down for you on a. Tuesday, Locked On Balls coming up tomorrow. Hey, don't forget, get your Twitter Tuesday questions in as we uh, as you take your questions. We'll take your questions, your comments, your concerns, all that on Tennessee basketball. Troy, Provo Heron will stop by the show and talk a little Tennessee baseball weekend opening sweep over Georgia Southern. Um, and, you know, uh, this past weekend, if you had some, some coin on Auburn, maybe you didn't do so hot. I did all right, though, because I had some coin on a lot of the teams over at betonline.net. Football's over, okay? Uh, but basketball, it's in full swing, obviously, in the college realm and uh, in the pros. We just come off the uh, the All-Star game last night, which, by the way, All-Star weekend, what a joke. Um, from the, all the latest odds and the totals and player props and performances to where the next coach might be fired, right, and where he might land, it's your number one spot. That means betonline.net. Your number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Okay, BetOnline is the best spot for all your scores, your podcasts, your news, this basketball season, this baseball season, and more. And it, but it's not just those sports, okay? BetOnline.net, your source for hockey, for boxing, for UFC, right to the Olympic coverage over in Beijing. Head on over to the website today. Use your mobile device as well. You can sign up and learn all about the action. BetOnline, it is where the game starts. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, it's baseball season again, and it was a good weekend for the Tennessee baseball team at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. A dominant season opening sweep over Georgia Southern. A, uh, a series that set a program 
a record attendance for a, a weekend series and some good pitching, great hitting. 33 to, I believe, three uh, was uh, what Tennessee outscored the Eagles at Georgia Southern over. And now to uh, come on and tell us all about it from the Daily Times, it is Troy Provo Heron. Troy, what's going on, man? Good. Uh, anytime baseball's back, I'm happy, so I, I can't complain. Yeah, it was a good start, obviously, for Tennessee. And, and we we continue, you know, for the average fan, we're talking, you know, they went to Omaha, they went to the College World Series last year, which was so much fun, hosted a regional, hosted a super regional and all that. And, you know, we had Ben on, we had John Wilkerson on last week. And obviously, as we saw this weekend, there's there's a lot of new faces in there. And some of those faces showed up just huge this weekend, both on the mound and in the lineup. Tell us a little bit about uh, the new the new guys who came to bat and, and did well for Tennessee this weekend. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of guys. I mean, even some guys that have been on the roster before that, you know, haven't really played as much. You know, Jarrell Ortega is a guy that steps out to me at two home runs in the first two days. Uh, Seth Stevenson hit a home run. He's a new guy. Uh, you know, just, just a bunch of guys. And I think, you know, that was a big question mark heading into the year. How do you replace guys like Max Ferguson and Jake Rucker and, and all those guys who were so – and Liam Spence. All those guys who were just so important to that run to Omaha last year. How do you go about replacing that production? And, and Seth Stevenson talked a little bit about today, and, and Jordan Beck did as well. Like, they never doubted that this offense would be as good as it was last year. They, they just kind of came out, did their thing. Like you said, 33 runs in three games. That's massive, and that's an amazing way to start a season. Now, let's go to uh, the mound, and, I mean, I- injury bug, we've talked about it on this show before. It's, it's incredible. You hate uh, the injuries, especially like a guy like Blake Tidwell, who's you know freshman All-American and did so well last year um, in the SEC. But uh, Chase Burns, a true freshman on Friday night, Chase Dolander, a transfer from Georgia Southern, did incredible work except for one inning on Saturday. And then uh, you had a newcomer as well, um, you know, here on Sunday, three brand new starting pitchers for Tennessee. And and they did really well. I mean, of course, the competition will get a whole lot better, especially in a couple of weeks when you go to Minute Maid Park and then when you get into SEC play. But what did you like from the starters here this weekend? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Chase Burns comes in with a massive amount of hype. I mean, big guy, throws as hard as he does, great off-speed stuff, and, and he kind of lived up to it a little bit. I think he'll only get better as, you know, he gets more comfortable out there on an SEC mound. Uh, Chase Dollander, absolutely nasty. Yesterday against Georgia Southern, 11 strikeouts and four and two-thirds. Uh, admitted to getting a little bit tired there uh, in that sixth inning, but, I mean, what else can you what else do you say about that guy and what he kind of brings to them? And then and then Drew Beam today, I mean, a guy who – you know, Tennessee wasn't really sure who would be a Sunday guy today. He steps in as a true freshman and pitched pretty well. And all three guys, obviously new to the program, but with some tremendous stuff. And I think that's something that you see from this staff now, even, you know, without Blade Tidwell, without, you know, Halverson is there's a lot more velocity. There's a lot more stuff in this pitching staff this year than there was a year ago. And that's not a, a, a slight to guys like Will Heffler or anything like that who were starting. And they were they're obviously more than serviceable on the mound a year ago. But when you when you look at what this staff looks like currently, and that's without you know two of its biggest arms, they look more like an SEC pitching staff than it ever has under Tony Vitello. And I think that's something that should be you know a little scary for other SEC teams because Tennessee has had a lot of success under Vitello with guys who maybe didn't pitch like they belonged in the SEC, and now they have those guys. You know, you mentioned Dahlander. He he ran into some trouble there in that sixth. Uh, he, he admitted after the game when we were standing there that he hadn't really gone that far here this early, and so you know maybe that was the issue. But I mean, eleven strikeouts, I believe he was. I've been drawing some you know Degrom comparisons in the in the way of uh, his delivery, so that was awesome to see. But also 
the bullpen. And of course, Drew Beam, as you mentioned, I, I blinked on his name, a former Blackman quarterback uh, here in Tennessee, and he gets to start in game three of the season. But the bullpen as well gave up no runs this weekend. Uh, you know, Redmond Walsh looked good on Saturday. Ethan Smith, the uh, transfer from Vanderbilt, picked up the win on Saturday as well. Uh, what's this bullpen going to look like? And I feel like, obviously, the, the more the the starters kind of take shape and how, you know, their durability and how they look the first couple weekends of the season will obviously shape up the way that bullpen looks too. Yeah, I think the bullpen's interesting because I don't know if necessarily we'll know what it looks like, you know, come SEC play for a couple more weeks. Obviously, Redmond Walsh is kind of entrenched as a late-inning guy. And you could probably say the same thing about Camden Sewell. It kind of looks like, uh, Tony Vitello mentioned it today, that Camden Sewell wants to start, but it kind of looks like he's going to kind of fill in for Sean Hunley in that kind of stopper role uh, that Hunley was so amazing at a year ago. And then what the rest of it looks like, who knows? I mean, Ben Joyce threw today, and his first pitch was 100 miles an hour, and he has that type of amazing velocity that screams late-inning reliever. Um, but but how that kind of fits into their plans, who knows? I, they have so many arms in that bullpen. Uh, Halverson being a guy who, you know, again, is he a starter? Is he a reliever for you? Uh, that's all going to kind of come together in the next couple weeks as they figure some things out. I think right now you know you have two definitives in Redmond Walsh and Camden Sewell in that bullpen. And how the other stuff shapes out, I think, is stuff that no, neither you nor I, maybe not even Tony Vitello at this point, kind of knows exactly at this point. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an issue this weekend, but something that I picked up on, and I'm sure everybody else has as well, if you watch this opening series, that could be an issue. You know, when you get it, you know, into SEC play and, and against some better competition, uh, the the pulse of this team is Evan Russell, right? And so unselfishly switches positions this offseason, goes behind the plate. He's managing that staff with a lot of new names, but there were some guys who ran on, took second a couple times, guys that took third. It's not all Russell. It's also the pitcher. It's called the battery for a reason. What? How do you? Th how do you see that playing out? Is that going to be an issue all season long? Are we? Am I? You know, overblowing it right now? Is that something to pay attention to in terms of you know managing the runners on base with the battery currently right now? Yeah, I, I do think it is something that obviously stands out in terms of Evan maybe not being able, you know, as strong armed as a guy like Connor Pavoloni was last year, right? But I think in today's modern baseball, you don't see a whole bunch of steals unless, I mean, unless you're Vanderbilt and you have Enrique Bradfield and you turn that guy loose and hope he steals 70 bases, which you should. I mean, he would run like a 4-2 in the NFL combine if you let him run. So it makes yeah. sense. Uh, I, I think, I don't necessarily think it's as big a deal because, well, you know, I mentioned Connor Pavoloni. I mean, as strong-armed as that guy was a year ago, he still gave up a lot of steals just because, you know, Tennessee doesn't necessarily seem to you know, do a fantastic job of, or necessarily even care. I don't necessarily know if it's a fantastic job, but it's just like they don't tend to care too much about runners on base. They're okay with you running. They trust in their pitches enough to get outs, and so those things don't necessarily matter to them as much. Um, and, again, I just don't think teams steal a whole bunch nowadays. So could it be a problem? Of course it could. And I think, you know, that might be something that teams down the road pick up on and say, you know what, we have to test this guy a little bit more, and this might be a way for us to scratch across some runs against a staff that – has more stuff than Tennessee's pitchers have in the past. But, um, again, that's another question that we won't, I don't think, know until later along the line. Yeah, a couple of shutouts uh, here this weekend of a season sweep over – a series sweep, rather, over Georgia Southern. Uh, two midweek games this week, Tennessee Tech on Tuesday at 4.30, UNC Asheville Wednesday at 4.30, and then hosting Iona for a three-game set uh, this weekend. Right now, I guess we kind of know what that weekend rotation looks like, at least the, uh, the, the first draft of it. 
who were some options who might get the start in these midweek contests? I would assume one game, at least one game is going to be a bullpen game. Who were some of those options we could expect against uh, the Golden Eagles and UNC Asheville? Yeah, I'm not really even sure because, like, it goes back to, you know, where they're kind of trying to figure some things out right now. Tony kind of kept that close to the vest today. And he basically said, you know, there's a lot of guys on this team that want to play right now. And, then you know, in a five-game week, you have the opportunity to play a lot of guys. And so where they go from there, who they start in the midweek, how long they go, how many arms they want to throw, I think that'll be a very interesting thing because, you know, as you go throughout a season, obviously you want to have your – your three big starters on the weekend. You want to have your guys that you go to late game, late in games on the bullpen, but you also kind of do want to have some guys you trust in the midweek because you don't want to be losing games to lesser opponents in terms of RPI and all that stuff when you're talking about regional settings and wanting to host and all that stuff. So I think that'll be something that actually is really interesting to watch on Tuesday and Wednesday against Tennessee Tech and UNC Asheville is just who are those guys you trust enough uh, to go out there, pitch well enough to you know keep the runs down and let this offense – which seems pretty dominant to this point, uh, go out there and score some runs and pick up those wins. All right, so we don't know an awful lot about this team, obviously. Just three games in. It'll take shape. It'll it'll transform as the season goes on and as we you know inch ever so closer to SEC play. What are some things, I guess, that you're looking for in these next five games this week in terms of you know, maybe you, you got a little bit of it this weekend. You want to see more of it. It's just some more questions that you'd like to see uh, some answers to this weekend with, with five opportunities or this week with five opportunities yeah through those first three games how they kind of played out the middle of the infield with Jorel Ortega playing second base Cortland Lawson playing short and then kind of alternating who plays left field I think is very interesting I think you know I came into the year expecting to see a little bit more of Kyle Booker and I think he DH today if I'm not mistaken um, and, and so just kind of how they utilize those positions it kind of looks like Cortland Lawson is settled into shortstop because he's by far and away the team's best defensive shortstop. And I think that's such a key position when you talk about a great team, uh, just having a really guy, a guy there that can really make some plays and, and stuff like that. So I think that's big. Uh, I don't necessarily think Joel Ortega is locked into second base by any means, despite the two home run week and what he did this weekend. Um, so I think that's kind of what I'm looking for. You know, how does that middle infield shape up? What does left field look like? You know, Logan Chambers played there a little bit there this weekend, and Seth, uh, Seth Stevenson played there some. Some guys who had – both those guys had never played in left field before. So how that kind of shapes up, those are the positions to watch going forward, and I think the next week, next two weeks, three weeks will be very telling on how that kind of shapes up. You can tell how hard Troy works. He's actually, uh, you know, this video portion is coming from his car in the parking garage right outside Lindsey Nelson Stadium. So I got him as soon as he left the stadium on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Troy, I appreciate it, man. Where can our viewers uh, find more of your work, especially right now during the end of basketball season and, of course, baseball season? Of course, yeah. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at at Troy underscore Provost and all of our stuff at The Daily Times at thedailytimes.com. Great stuff, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. All right, that is awesome stuff there from Troy. Give him a follow. Does a fantastic job. Uh, one of the few that covers every single game for Tennessee baseball. A true guy on the beat. That is Troy. Give him a follow. All right, guys. Built Bar, let me tell you all about it. The time of the year where you really need to start looking at your figure. Hey, summer months is just, uh, I mean, it's just a couple of weeks away. Rather, when you get into those springtime temperatures and you start making plans for the beach and for the lake and the river and all that type of stuff. And if you're looking to lose or maintain weight, looking to shape up your diet a little bit, let me tell you about uh, Built Bar. Built Bar is their incredibly tasting. They have a ton of different flavors. Um, they're mostly sitting around 130 calories. 
about four grams of sugar, four net carbs, but 17 grams of protein. It will give you energy. It is good for you. And it is a fantastic alternative to a candy bar because most candy bars, they're sitting somewhere around 240 calories. So I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you right now, but what you need to know, built bar good, candy bar bad, right? So if you want to have a healthy alternative to that mid-afternoon snack, something that you just go to because you're just hungry or you want something sweet, all that Bill Bar because I mentioned the sweet, right? Bill Bar covered in 100% chocolate. Yes, I'm not lying to you. It is 100% chocolate. So where can you find all the selection of the Bill Bars out there? You can do it at built.com. And while you're there, use the promo code LOCK15 and you're going to get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off. That's at built.com. We got a final segment left here on a Monday edition of Locked On Vols. I'm Eric Kane. Thanks so much for hanging out with me here today and coming back um, every single week for some more Locked On Vols coverage. Twitter Tuesday, your comments, your questions, your concerns, get them at me. DMs are open. Slide on in there like Chris Collinsworth does in that Sunday night football booth at underscore Kaner and at Locked On Vols. Okay, so I kind of touched on it in segment number one basketball, some closing remarks. Hey, chill. It's okay. All right. I know it's disgusting. I know it was awful to watch. Um, I know I would rather go and cover 10 three-hour and 45-minute baseball games before watch that one basketball game ever again because it was just that, 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 that awful. It was so bad. But we knew this stretch was going to be tough. We knew it was going to be challenging. And I told you, not just me, okay? It's not like, I mean, I, I've, I've never been to a game there, so it's not even like me from firsthand. But uh, in speaking with people last week and, you know, guests and everything like that, and, and I didn't play the interview, and I'm going to get him on before we play Arkansas next time um, here on the schedule in a couple of days. But I'm going to get on uh, John Neighbors, who is uh, a host of uh, Out of Bounds. It's his radio show. It's 1 to 4 Central Time. Um, over on 103.7 The Buzz. That's the flagship station for the Arkansas Razorbacks. I got him on my Saturday morning show on the Sports Animal to talk and preview that that matchup. And uh, he, even, you know, he was talking about it too, about how it's just such a challenging place to play um, aesthetically, kind of with the way it's built, obviously the atmosphere and all that over in Bud Walton Arena. So it was a tough, tough place to play. One of the One of the hardest places to play in the country, especially this season. It is not the end of the world. But Tennessee can't continue to fall back in that lull and that shooting, relying on threes, uh, taking sloppy shots, getting tired. So much of this had to do in foul trouble. I understand that. You don't want Uros Plapsis playing in crunch time minutes in the fourth quarter, especially going to the line because psh, chalk it up as an L because that's exactly what it was. But points and you know, I mean, somebody had to play, right? Now, could you have went to Fulkerson? For sure. Could you have went to, you know, somebody else go small, put Meshack at the four, you know, whatever, and Tennessee did that some. It is what it is. It's one game. It's one game. It's one game. You got four left, and they're going to be challenging. They are going to be challenging. Tennessee's one and one right now, split against two of the best teams, arguably in the country, especially in the SEC. It's going to be all right. See how Tennessee bounces back playing a night game in Como, um, it, on Tuesday night, um, you know, on the road in the SEC in Missouri, it's always kind of weird and bizarre. So how does Tennessee respond against another team that hangs its hat on defense? We will find out, but I'm intrigued and looking forward uh, to seeing that. But hey, baseball, baseball was fun this weekend, was it not? We've been, uh, we had uh, Troy on, he did a fantastic job just kind of breaking down exactly the big highlights from uh, this weekend series and all that type of stuff. Um, but so much to get into, and we're going to kind of break it down game by game just just quickly here um, here on Locked On Balls. Monday night, the 
uh, debut at Chase Burns, who turned down millions and millions and millions of draft capital to come and play uh, for Tennessee this year. He looked really, really good as a true freshman, getting the opening start, you know, opening day starts um, in the SEC, playing for the power tee. He looked good. Five innings, gave up two hits, no runs, had five strikeouts, 70 pitches in five innings. That's that's pretty solid. Chase Burns, the story of the night, clocking in at seven, or excuse me, at 98 miles per hour. Uh, was was his fastball, but the story on Friday night was the newcomers to that lineup, right? Um, Tennessee, as we talked about with Ben and John, you know, last week, Tennessee, a lot of new faces in this lineup, and you, know, you had Seth Stevenson, you had Christian Scott, you had Trey Lipscomb, you had Joel Ortega, all those guys homered in the game on Friday night. So it was kind of the story of the newcomers that got Tennessee a nine to nothing win over Georgia Southern on Friday night. Let's shift to Saturday. I was there. I was covering this game. It was a whole lot of fun. It was cruising right along there until that sixth inning. Zeros spanned the scoreboard from innings one, two, three, four, five, and six, or five. Then we got to the sixth inning. Chase Dolander, who formerly of Georgia Southern, pitching against his old team, had 11 strikeouts leading up to the fifth inning, right? He was looking incredible. Ran into some trouble there in the sixth, or to the sixth inning, Ran into some trouble there in the sticks, got a little tired, gave up three runs. Tennessee was down 3 nothing at that point in the game. And then Tennessee rattles off, what is it, 10, 10 unanswered runs to end the ball game and win 10-3. to The big blast coming from the veterans, all right? You had uh, Kyle Booker, who has been on this team for a couple of years. He got Tennessee on the board first. You had Evan Russell, who... Uh, got Tennessee a two a game tying two run single through the left side. It was tied three three. Luke Lipsius, the first baseman, he got to, he gave Tennessee the lead with an RBI single. And then from there, you had Ortega under uh, the blast again. Drew Gilberts at a grand slam in that five run bomb of the eighth inning. It was a fun game to watch. Fun game to watch. Tennessee goes on and wins ten to three. And Chase Dolander, yeah, he ran out of gas there in that sixth inning, but eleven strikeouts, getting some Jacob Degrom comparisons from. Those who cover minor league prospects and college prospects, um, boy, it looked really, really good. And then you roll into Sunday, and Tennessee finishes off fourteen to nothing. Uh, the bats came alive, no home runs, but six doubles. You had two triples, so eight extra base hits for this Tennessee offense, and another true freshman getting the nod on a Sunday start. Drew Beam, formerly the quarterback at Blackman High School in the Midstate, he goes three innings, throws sixty pitches, but no runs, walked three. No runs, give up only one hit. It's going to take him a while to stretch out his arm a little bit. But remember, no Blake Tidwell for the Volunteers to start the season. So Tennessee relying on a lot of new faces. Bottom line, Tennessee's arms looked great this weekend. The bullpen looked fantastic. Camden Sewell, who we didn't think that Tennessee would have this weekend, came on and threw, uh, had two appearances. I think he threw, what was it, two innings on Sunday and two innings on Friday. Yeah, threw four scoreless innings. He looked really, really good. Ben Joyce came on, made his season debut, and Tennessee's going to rely on him. He looked really good. Ethan Smith got the win on Saturday, that Vanderbilt transfer. Um, he gave up three hits, didn't look great, but looked all right. Redmond Walsh pitched a couple of times. He looked good. So the arms looked fantastic and the bats, the bats looked really, really good. Again, Georgia Southern's not going to win a national championship this year. Just not, but the way Tennessee played Georgia Southern, that's a pretty good baseball program there. Okay. Was inspiring the way Tennessee's batches continue to rally was inspiring five games this week, two midweek games against UNC Asheville and Tennessee Tech. Tech is on Tuesday. Asheville's on Wednesday. Then you got a three-game set against Iona this weekend. 
A lot of chances to see the Tennessee baseball team, these players, as Tony Vitello continues to try to find his starting lineup. Played a lot of guys. The lineup card looked different each and every game this weekend. And we thought that would be the case moving in. But nonetheless, Tennessee, a dominant three-game sweep over Georgia Southern to begin this baseball season and outscored them 33-3. to um, Do want to mention, make note of the attendance, okay? Tennessee's attendance count for Friday when it was 28, when it was like 30 degrees, nah, it was about 38 degrees, excuse me, when it was about 38 degrees and it was muggy and overcast and looked kind of gross, 4,335 people on Friday night's game. Saturday's game, 4,651 attendees. Sunday's game, Tennessee had 4,580 attendees. All that together, and that's the, the biggest weekend at Lindsey Nelson Stadium history. Not just season opening weekend, but the biggest weekend ever for a series in terms of total attendance. Shattered the record for by about 23-2400. So, all you guys are out at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Congratulations to you. You were a part of history and uh, hopefully this is a sign to come for Tennessee throughout the season. So, hope you enjoyed Troy Provo Heron as he came on and talked a little bit about this weekend and my uh, my analysis on what I saw from Tennessee baseball over the weekend, um, Tennessee basketball one to forget, but chances to move on and still finish off strong. So don't freak out. Everybody stay calm. And of course, we got Twitter Tuesday coming in tomorrow. So a lot thrown at you here on a Monday. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for making Locked On Vols your first listen and for subscribing on YouTube. I've been posting that YouTube show a little bit earlier now, not at nine o'clock, really kind of overnight, like the audio portion. So you wake up in the morning. If you like listening and watching stuff on YouTube, you can find this podcast on YouTube when you wake up as well. All right, guys. Again, thanks so much for making Locked On Vols your first listen. Now, your second listen of the day, make it the Locked On the NFL Draft. Ryan Tracy, former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker, bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free. It's available wherever you get your podcast. That is Locked On NFL Draft. Make that your second listen here today. Guys, as always, thanks so much. You guys rock. We'll do it again for Twitter Tuesday. Get me in those questions on tomorrow's show.